You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 340. I'm your host, Annika Harrison, and joining me for the show is my co-host Pontus Böckmann. See ya! Hello, Heysen, Heysen. Hi, hi. How are, you? How are you? So you are not Andras today either. I'm not Andras, no. No. Bloody hell, he's, he's working a lot. He's as we said last busy. week. He's very busy. Well, I'm happy we, at least one of us have a proper job, if you can call that a proper job. <laughs> well, I've got a very proper job. I'm just not being paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. That is correct. That's that correct. It's like I always say, the last two years I've worked harder in my life than ever before. And uh, on <laughs> something that is actually more important than anything else yeah, you've done. But not paid. Like, or at least like I was paid the first 12 months by the government. Okay. Like parental leave. Do you hear that, Americans? <laughs> We have social security in Europe. And it's not socialism. It's just... Just good. good. <laughs> It just works. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Good, good, good. Yeah. We shouldn't talk too much about the weather today, right? Nah, because they're actually... It's pretty dry here in Germany. Mm -hmm. We have a bit of a drought. And interestingly, a few hunger stones seem to have appeared in the rivers. <laughs> What is a hunger stone? Well, it's nothing like the Hunger Games, <laughs> I can assure you. Um, it's a stone that they put into rivers like um, the Oder River or the Elbe River or the Rhine River. And one is making big rounds that says, Wenn du mich siehst, dann weine. And that translates to, if you see me, then cry. Mm. So, so the thing is that when the water goes below a certain level yes. and you can read that text, Then you know you're yeah. in trouble because the yeah, water exactly. is gone. <laughs> It's pretty much like in, in a movie when you read a certain transcript. Like, for example, in Lord of the Rings where they're like, run, they're coming, they're coming. And then you hear the drums. <laughs> That's pretty much like that. The hunger drums. <laughs> the hunger drums, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> But interestingly enough, the, the photo that went viral mm -hmm. wasn't taken uh, this year. It was taken in 2018. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Never trust anything mm -hmm. on the internet. Exactly. And it's like, you can see them in the in the um, Elbe River. You can see them <laughs> most years <laughs> mm -hmm. because they constructed a dam in 1926. Oh, there you so go. you can see them more often. And yes, there was a big drought in 2018. It was extreme. And it was like compared to the last 500 years, it was the most extreme, basically. And It could be worse this year. Mm. So yes, we are talking about very, very dry conditions. But still, the hunger stones, yeah, it's <laughs> they didn't only appear this year. So that means <laughs> that means way back in the day. How old are these stones or this one that we're talking about? Um some of them go back like the, the carvings, um, some of them go back to the 1400s. Right. So it could be that there have been droughts in the past that are just as bad as the ones we're seeing now. And uh, you know, yeah. and then, of course, you have to factor out that we have built a dam somewhere and that changes yes. everything. <laughs> and it's probably that maybe there were droughts in only the Rhine River on only the Elbe River. And now it's like everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. We have like the Thames, the Elbe River, the, the Rhine, the Oder, like all of them are very low. I've, mm. I've been to Bingen a few weeks ago and you can basically see stones, 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 and then just a mm -hmm. tiny bit of muddy, muddy, murky water. <laughs> Uh, they have areas where the ships can't go anymore. <laughs> right. I don't have any 
river close to where I'm living. <laughs> so I can't <laughs> compare, but I don't know. <laughs> but I do know that we have um, a warning saying, please conserve water because it's very, very dry. Mm. And we may yeah. need to ration it later on. So yeah. please don't uh, water your lawn. Just use it mm. for necessary things. My lawn is not watered, I can tell you that. It's a desert. <laughs> well, lawn of my parents too. Like, it's not really a desert, but it's brown. Like, in, in Germany, there actually some newspapers tell you to wash your hands cold, for example. Mm -hmm. Like, they're already preparing for the, the energy crisis yeah, that's, in, that's in winter. that's not because of lack of water. That's because nah, of lack that's of not energy. Water. Yeah. Like of gas and yeah. stuff, yeah. But one thing I still wanted to say about the Hunger Stones is that they didn't get their names medieval culturally. They got it through a newspaper article in 1842. <laughs> okay. Before that, they were just called milestones or marks. Okay. What? How do you say and Hunger like, Stone in, in German? Uh, Hungersteine. <laughs> Hungersteine. But interestingly enough, the photo that you see in the viral tweet mm -hmm. was in the Czech Republic. In the city of Dechin, I think. Um, Call which, in, or I mean, send us yes, your pronunciation. Yes. Send, send us the pronunciation, please. Mm. <laughs> but of course, as we know, um, in medieval times, Germans sometimes were there and were, were not there, you know. Of <laughs> were minorities right, there. That, that's right. There is a misconception, even among people who should know better, I think, that languages, they stop at a border. Yes, and which is not the That's case. That's not, no, not happening. And, and, uh, and also the borders, they change a lot Exactly, over time. they do. <laughs> so, yeah, I found that really interesting about the hunger stones, but also about how much we have to stay skeptical. Yes, <laughs> with, very, with very much so, because I bought it. I didn't look into it very mm -hmm. much. But Me too. I just saw it, okay, okay that's bad. And it, because it mm -hmm. fits all the other facts you hear. It fits us, yeah. Mm -hmm. But that that's why it's such a good... Um, I don't want to call it fake news. <laughs> well, it's helpful because you can learn mm -hmm. from it, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> cautionary tale, maybe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another cautionary tale we want to talk about is a person that maybe might not have behaved the best in the world. But for that, I think we should go over to Twish. Yeah, and this week... We're talking about Mother Teresa. <laughs> Ooh, holy, holy. Yes, very holy. Mother Teresa, also known as the Saint Teresa of Calcutta, mm -hmm. was born on the 26th of August 1910 and died on the 5th of September 1997. She was a Roman Catholic nun and founded missionaries, namely the Missionaries of Charity. I think everyone knows her. Like she's she's a person of pop culture. She's a meme even before there were memes. She, she yeah. is exactly yeah. like she is an institution. Holy as Mother Teresa. Yes, <laughs> even in school, for example, if you had to do group work and people wanted to exploit you and be like, yeah, yeah, you can just do everything and I'll just chill, then you could say like, do I look like Mother Teresa to you? Yeah, that's what <laughs> she, I mean she's with a bit of a, being a meme. Huh? Yeah, she was a meme before memes were cool, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so she was very active. She provided oh, and managed homes for people suffering from HIV, leprosy, tuberculosis, had soup kitchens, and had huge followers in her groups. The, the followers weren't huge. She has a huge number of no. followers. <laughs> <laughs> no, the followers, I, I insist, the followers were huge, <laughs> at least three meters tall. <laughs> no, but she also wasn't someone who I would call a saint. 
I mean, I'm not the one who decides that, but she received a lot of criticism. Most outspoken was Christopher Hitchens, mm, yeah. <laughs> who we all admire. Mm -hmm. He said, and I, I quote, Mother Teresa was not a friend of the poor. She was a friend of poverty. She said that suffering was a gift from God. She spent her life opposing the only known cure for poverty, which is the empowerment of women and the emancipation of them from a livestock version of compulsory repro reproduction. End quote. Wow, yeah. So she thought that the sick must suffer like Christ on the cross. So she provided homes for sick people, but didn't really give them medical care, diagnoses, nutrition, analgesics. That's very wrong. And the yeah. wrongest thing is that she took heart medication. So Herself, that yeah. was absolutely hypocritical. Another thing she reportedly said is, I quote again, I'm not a social worker. I don't do it for this reason. I do it for Christ. I do it for the church. So basically, she just wanted to expand the number of Catholics. She didn't really want to help. That's at least what she reportedly said. Another thing that I found really problematic is that she, of course, was against abortion and contraception. Well, she was a Catholic but, after all. Yes, that's not too surprising. But she also said that the Jesuit priest Donald McGuire didn't abuse anyone sexually in 1994. And he was convicted of sexually molesting children. The conviction was 2006. So that, of course, should also be criticized because, yeah, he, he was Catholic too, but that doesn't make him sacrosanct. No, you don't have to be a saint to be a Catholic. And exactly. I think that <laughs> Mother Teresa proved that herself. Yeah, I think she's yeah. one of these people. You think she's she's awesome. She might have done some good in the world. Who knows? But I have to say, I, I find her really problematic. I think like for me, she's one of these people that you see and then you're like, oh, wow, yeah, that's the hypocrisy that I don't like. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, she she was accused of a lot of things. I mean, for one thing, her, yeah. the houses that she kept for the poor or for the sick mm -hmm. were known as the houses of dying, for dying. Well... Gives you an idea. <laughs> in a way, I mean, you have hospices, so there is a mm -hmm. room for that. But she didn't even try to get them proper medical mm -hmm. treatment. She didn't even provide real painkillers, just maybe an aspirin or so sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, you go here and then you can suffer for Christ. There you go. I, I find that so problematic. But to, to sum it all up, she was born on the 26th of August in 1910. I don't want to say happy birthday, but you also shouldn't talk too badly about, about dead people. So there you go. That's Mother Teresa for you. Well, some of them you can, I think. She wasn't very saint-like. Nah. And I think we should now talk about another person who might not be very saint-like, right? And actually, someone who made her a saint. Yes. So let's jump over and find out if Pontus can poke the Pope again. I can always poke the Pope. <laughs> so this time I'm going to talk about something that you've heard a little bit about before. If you're a long-term listener, you know that there's a big trial going on in the Vatican. And it's now entering its second year, actually, the first time in modern history that a sitting cardinal have been charged with crimes by the Vatican itself. So I need to do a short recap. Some of you have heard this before, but uh, maybe we have uh, new listeners. 
The short recap is that there was a real estate deal in London to buy a former Harrods building and to convert it into apartments. This deal was made by, or I should say attempted by, the Vatican. This was financed by money coming from Peter's Pence, which is a fund for charity, and it's not supposed to be used that way. It's supposed to go to the poor, of course. But they took the money and they bought this building. The whole deal went sour and the church lost somewhere around 200 million euro. So the trial is not just about the loss itself. There are also allegations of huge amounts of money being embezzled by people. Among them, this cardinal, Cardinal Becciu, Angelo Becciu. Not that long ago, he was the Pope's sustituto. Or, or substitute, which means he does a lot of the things that the Pope can't be bothered with doing himself. And he was that when the deal went down in 2013 and he signed a lot of the papers to make it happen. He's not the only one on trial for this, but he is the main focus because he is the cardinal. Or is he? Uh, we will hear about that later. As you may recall, Francis recalled Betchu's cardinal privileges as a well, as a cardinal, in 2020, leaving him still a cardinal, but in name only. So all the perks was taken away from him. Now, the trial itself against him and a few others have been haunted by lots of mistakes and failures, mainly from the prosecution, who has several times been asked by the judge to go home and do their proper homework, because they come with all kinds of things that are not good enough for court. So that's old news. The trial is very much still ongoing. Reportedly, there are still 200 witnesses that are waiting to be interrogated or heard. But what happened last week was that Betchu, who's still around, he's still mm -hmm. a, sort of a priest. He's not in jail yet. He had a sermon or something, but he made a surprise statement. And he claimed that Francis had now reinstated him as a full cardinal again. Frankie had apparently made a personal phone call to Betchu just, like I guess, a week ago or something, and asked him to take part in the general cardinal meeting, which will follow the 27th of August appointment ceremony. That's a mouthful. When, when uh, Frankie will uh, formally appoint all the new cardinals that has been announced already, and we talked about that before. So it's just a formality, but Betchu is apparently back in from the cold. And it came down as a bombshell because, as I said, the trial is still ongoing. What's happening here? And one thing we should remember is that there is no separation of powers in the Vatican. The Pope is the Pope <laughs> in a very real and direct way. <laughs> Frankie's word is law, literally. And he's the ultimate and highest instance in all matters, even the legal matters. But he's not actually involved in the trial as such, but... If there's an appeal or something, he can go in and say and do whatever he wants to. If he, he decides so, the charges could be dropped. And uh, there's no other Supreme Court, like in proper countries, I almost said. But it gets even stranger than that. Because the day after Betchu said that he was reinstated by Frankie, a Vatican source said Betchu's statement is being interpreted by insiders, well, within the Vatican, that is, as something different. It's interpreted as an invitation to participate in this thing, but not necessarily that he is being fully reinstated as a cardinal. 
the thing is with this that we don't know because this was a private phone call from Frankie to Betchu and it wasn't recorded. Nobody's eavesdropping on them. At least well, maybe, maybe the Russians do it, but we don't know what was said. So what's going on? If this is the first step in Frankie's quest to somehow pardoning him or exonerate him, we don't know that yet. And if he does that, shouldn't he tell the court? And what is the court supposed to do now? Just call the whole thing off. As I said, there's 200 witnesses waiting to be heard. And uh, was it all a giant waste of time or, or what, what, what's happening? We can only wait and see. And as I said last week, Frankie is not showing a lot of good leadership skills. He's doing whatever he wants to and he doesn't <laughs> seem to want to explain it to anybody else. Like the real uh, king he is. <laughs> yeah, I think this this affair, this trial, this whole scandal will go on forever. I don't know if we'll ever... Maybe it will just peter out and they will just stop investigating and say, well, okay, we don't know I mean, what, what Frankie wants, so let, let's just leave it alone. And then nobody will know what anything. But uh, there is one more thing that I want to take up today. Um, we know that the Pope isn't very well. He is. Uh, he has his sciatica. He has some knee problems. It's very painful. He is confined to a wheelchair. However, he is still planning to do more traveling. Just came back from Canada. We talked a lot about that. This time it was announced two weeks ago already, but I couldn't fit it in last week. He will go to the Congress of World and Traditional Religions in Kazakhstan, which will be the 13th to the 15th of September. So there's been a lot of speculations. Most people thought he wouldn't be going because he wasn't feeling well. But of course, it's a big thing. All the great religions of the world get together and chat. I don't know what they do. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure they're not agreeing to anything else than that all the atheists are wrong. Anyway, the big thing with Frankie's going to Kazakhstan to this Congress is that the Russian Orthodox Patriarch Kirill will be there as well. So no private meeting between the two have been announced, but it would be very strange if the Vatican doesn't try to set something up between Frankie and what I call Putin's Pope to discuss the situation in Ukraine. We all know that Kirill is a big Putin supporter and Frankie has publicly criticized him as, as much as Frankie criticizes anybody. He said that Kirill should keep out of the political area, stick to the spiritual work. He famously said that <laughs> Kirill should not become Putin's altar boy. And that was not appreciated by Kirill. He actually commented on that, I think. But it's, it, was, it wasn't received well anyway. So tensions is very high between the two of them. And it may even be that Frankie wants to talk to Kirill and Kirill doesn't want to talk to Frankie. But at least they will be at the same Congress and speculations are ongoing. We will see what happens in a couple of weeks time when it's going to happen. That sounds pretty exciting. <laughs> That's a teaser for future poking. Yeah. And with that teaser, I think it's only right for us to go over to the news. Yes, I want to talk about ivermectin. Yay! Oh no, is it back? <laughs> it's not really back because it never left. <laughs> okay. Uh, every time I read anything about this, 
I'm just always like, is that that satire? Is that like the onion? Did someone invent that? No, it's not. It's, it's just seems so absurd. Every time we read something of that, it's, oh, what? Like people are advocating giving it to babies. They're sneaking it into hospitals inside of teddy bears. Really? And th this is for COVID treatment, allegedly. Yeah, even for though COVID we know treatment. it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a candidate in the US, a candidate in Wisconsin's attorney general election, actually wants to investigate homicides in hospitals because loved ones were basically being murdered, in air quotes, because they're not receiving ivermectin. Oh, Jesus Yes. <laughs> and you can actually call it a cult. And this cult is just not dying because, yeah, it never left. It's still there. So it's all started in 2020 with laboratory studies done in Petri dishes. They wanted to find out if this drug that can be used to treat parasites in, in horses mainly, but it can also be used in humans <laughs> to treat parasites mm -hmm. like yeah. hookworms and other bowel worms. Ugh. Yeah, mm, tasty. Uh, <laughs> and they wanted to find out if that had antiviral properties. But in this regard, it never went really beyond the laboratory studies. Later, they, they just found that the whole debate was completely polluted by poorly done studies. There have been heaps of papers rejected or have been found very flawed. Yes. But of course, as always in these kind of situations, the damage is already done. The, right. In German, we would say the kid already fell into the well. <laughs> That's very graphic. It's very graphic and very evil. <laughs> you, have, you have to have a content warning for that. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, it, it already happened. That's basically it. Right. And, and But it was also uh, championed by, uh, and we talked about that quite a lot, Luc Montagnier, who was yes. a, uh, a Nobel Prize laureate for uh, HIV research. Mm -hmm. He, for some reason, thought that it worked and he was very vocal about it. Yes. The question now is, well, like we know it, it's not working against COVID. So why are we still talking about this on the podcast? Mm. Yeah, because it's it's a thing that happens in these kind of pandemic situations. Yeah. It very quickly became a thing about ideology and in-group, out-group signaling and not really about does it help against COVID anymore. It was pushed by COVID deniers, COVID contrarians, QAnon people, even some state actors like Russia. <laughs> Querdenkers, maybe? Very likely queerdenkers. So, yes. <laughs> yeah, and it just turned into ideology. Interestingly, you can see the more right-wing leaning a country is or US American state, the more likely they would believe in the effectiveness of ivermectin. It, yeah. There is a relation there. Yeah, it's the drug <laughs> they don't want to tell you about, right? Exactly, because we want people to suffer like Mother Teresa. <laughs> <laughs> It, it is something that is hard to stamp down on because of the ideology here that plays a role. But it's also interesting if, if you think about the US American context that people are like, they don't want to give us the thing that works. And if they give us something for free, like a vaccine, then it's probably socialism and they just all want to kill us. <laughs> so just... It makes no sense at all. But if you don't trust any authorities, then I guess that's where you end up. So whatever yeah. the authorities are telling you, that must be wrong by definition. On principle. So yeah, take your freedom, but please still get vaccinated. That's what I wanted to talk about with ivermectin. 
And now I think we should find out if there's more in the world to talk about than <laughs> <Right>. ivermectin. <laughs> more cults. Yeah, this is not this next one is not exactly a cult, but mm -hmm. uh, it's cult-like to some extent. I, I, I mm -hmm. shouldn't press that too much, but I mentioned <laughs> last week that we are in the middle of the Swedish election campaign. And I talked about the Sweden Democrats, and uh, I have no love for them. That's not uh, a secret, I think. And now they have more nonsense that I have to report on. In addition to creating the so-called agency for punishment, quote-unquote, they now suggest that it should be legal to put children as young as nine into community service in order to keep them from getting into criminality and criminal gangs. And of course, we all know where this is going, whether they say it outright or not. Of course, they want to do so based on ethnicity, right? So I'm sure they don't think that that could ever be applied to any quote-unquote Swedish children. It has to be foreigners. So you want to prevent children to going into criminality by forcing them into community service when they are nine years old. I mean, how do you do that? I'm not a legal expert, but you, you don't condemn children in advance to do something just because they may become criminal later unless you force them. Mm. I'm a <laughs> bit upset about this. I'm lacking yes. words. But that's not the, the only thing. In an interview, the same guy that I quoted last week, Jimmy Okeson, who is the leader for this party, mm -hmm. He came out as a full climate change denier as well. Oh. Yeah. He thinks that the Paris Agreement is much too ambitious and it's actually harmful for society. We have plenty of time, he says, uh, to beat the climate change. And the important thing is that people can afford to drive their cars. That's more important. Getting Sweden fossil free in 20 years, which is what we are trying to do here, That is madness. So instead, petrol prices should come down. We shouldn't hesitate to use fossil fuels to get lower electricity prices if that's needed. And this is a quote from him. We have hot weather and sometimes we have cold weather. It tends to be very hot and alarming every election year for some <laughs> reason. I don't feel that we are in a crisis in that sense, that we need to panic at the moment. End quote. <laughs> Well, at least he didn't say that the parties are influencing the weather. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you know, he's again conflating weather with climate and, and it's all just populism and denial of facts. And this is now, well, has been for several years now, the third largest party in Sweden. They have between 17 and 20% of the voters in the polls. So people listen to this and it appeals to them because they don't want to pay like 250 euro per liter of, of petrol. Mm -hmm. That's way too much. It's better if it's half that. And uh, then they listen to this guy and say, okay, maybe, well, I, th I think so. I think so too. It's very much exaggerated. <laughs> the climate change, blah, blah, blah. It's the weather, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> as long <sighs> as you just give me my gas, I don't care. <laughs> that That's right. And then put all the nine-year-old foreign children in community service so they don't become criminals. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, that's not racist at all. No. That was sarcasm, just to be clear. Don't quote her on that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Something I also don't want to be quoted at is um, talking about Reiki. Reiki. The NHS is now looking for a Reiki healer to treat clients using 
principles of energy. <laughs> yeah. Should, should we go into what Reiki is or what it's claimed to be? Reiki is, of course, alternative healing. Mm. So energy healing from Japan. And they use a technique called palm healing or hands-on healing that they use in universal energy that is transferred through the palms of the practitioner to the patient. And this means that they can encourage emotional and physical healing. And mm -hmm. of course, I'm not that much of an expert. I just quoted that directly from Wikipedia. So shout out to uh, guerrilla skepticism in that, in that moment. Right. I, I think we should mention <laughs> as well, because I'm pretty certain that in Reiki, you don't even touch the patient. No. You, are, you, you keep it like a couple of centimeters away from the skin and you mm -hmm. just m wave your hand over them magically and that does something with energies and um, people become well yeah and the sentence i liked most on the wikipedia page is in the second paragraph and that is the sentence reiki is a pseudoscience mm. um, shout out to guerrilla skeptics on wikipedia and susan gerbig because they are doing things like that i don't know if they are responsible for that page but they are doing something like that they could have done that it sounds very much like them and, and, I mean, and even awesome. if they if they don't always rewrite pages from top to bottom they can go in and put in sentences like that yeah and of course on the wikipedia platform it's all peer-reviewed so they can't just do it whenever they want to they need to have uh, citations mm -hmm. for that exactly. so it's not just opinion this is this is science exactly. it's science in this case that it's pseudoscience <laughs> yeah. yes and and this page about reiki for example contains a quote by brian dunning who ah. is out of the skeptoid podcast so right yes. this is right up our alley and I think if you want to, dear listener, <laughs> check this page out because it's a good example on how G GSOW builds, builds pages, even if it might not have been written by them. Mm. But coming back to the NHS and energy healing. Yeah, the, the NHS of UK. That is, yeah, yeah, National Health System of the UK mm. because they are looking for an energy Reiki practitioner and they are looking for a Reiki healer that should treat clients using energy principles and activate the healing process. You mean looking for as in advertising yes. for a, a yes. job, mm -hmm. right? Oh my God. Yes, they are. Uh, <laughs> and people could always say, well, the post is not paid by the NHS. It's paid for by a healing trust called Sam Buxton Sunflower Healing Trust, SBSHT who are mostly funding alternative things like, I'll just quote, our core values remain the same. We continue to shine a light on key themes, including consciousness, intuition, self-development, and meditation. So yes, NHS is not funding that, but they are still... They're enabling it. They're enabling it. I don't also don't want to don't want to leave this unmentioned that the college that is supported by this trust mm -hmm. have, a, have a course that is called Alchemize Your Energy Through Dowsing. So that's what? something, yeah, that's that's something that they also finance. So like that's that just gives you an idea of what does that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> <No idea. laughs> 
<laughs> Apparently something with dowsing. But going back to NHS, it's just that they would have lost my trust in that moment. If they advertise mm. something like that as a national health service, I'm just like, yeah, you're not, you're not taking my money as a taxpayer uh, from the UK, but you are completely throwing scientific principles out of the window there. As Edson Ernst put it so aptly, and here I quote again because I'm in a quotey mood. Um, <laughs> he says, if the NHS truly does not value these principles, I suggest they also fill the chronic gaps in ambulance services by flying carpets, end quote. <laughs> right, <laughs> flying carpets. That is it's, awesome. You that's, can compare that's a, it to that, yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, but that, but, oh, yeah. Ah, well, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I don't think many have missed the assassination of Darya Dugina. Mm -hmm. I think that's how it's pronounced. But if you know Russian better than I do, and chances are you do, you can send in your pronunciations to info at the esp.eu and we can play your pronunciation on the air. I almost call it on the air. I don't know what you call it. On the <laughs> on internet. The on fiber. The, yes, on the fiber. Anyway, the, the assassination of Darya Dugina. She was the daughter of Alexander Dugin, very close friend or ally to Putin. And what seems to be clear now is that the car that Dugina drove, and that was registered on her father's, in her father's name, it blew up on the highway after a bomb had exploded. It is very likely that the attack was meant for her father, Alexander, and also very likely that this is related to the invasion of Ukraine. We don't know for sure, but that seems very likely. But the thing is, who was behind it? Russia was very quick to blame Ukraine for carrying out the assassination. While Ukraine, of course, they say that they had nothing to do with it. Naturally, in a case of war, as we are talking about here, no matter what Putin wants to call it, Propaganda is everywhere and no information coming from the parties that are involved can be taken for certain. They all have things to look out for and they say things that suits them, of course. I guess almost everyone in the West sympathizes with Ukraine. Spoiler, mm -hmm. we do too. Yes. But even if Russia obviously is the bad guy here and the aggressor, Ukraine too may have good reasons to keep some things secret. Now, the latest news now, as we record this, is that the Russian FSB, which was used to call the KGB, they reorganized it and they changed things around, but it's basically the KGB. They have announced that they have now cracked the case. They say that they have proof that a Ukrainian woman from the Ukrainian so-called Azov regiment carried out this assassination by entering she she entered allegedly russia in her mini cooper car mm -hmm. uh, together with a 12 year old daughter oddly specific i don't know <laughs> mm -hmm. well maybe she did maybe she didn't she also kept changing the number plates on the car during her trip through russia to make sure that she um, wasn't followed and then she made it to wherever this happened. And I, I, I forget at the moment exactly where this explosion happened. But she managed to find this car, planted a bomb, and then made it all the way back to Ukraine undetected. So if this happened, she is really a, a James Bond character, if I ever heard of anything. This is just one little quirk there. If she was doing all of this undetected, how can the FSB now claim that they have documented all of this? 
I, I don't know how that works. That's sort of a paradox, I guess. Still pretty interesting. Also, suddenly, the Russian authorities, which have not been famous for being very effective lately, they managed to crack this case in only three days. So well done on them. But, of course, there's a lot of skepticism about these Russian claims for obvious reasons. They had very good reasons to try to pin this on Ukraine as quickly as possible, of course. And who can check them? It's not like they are going to open up their archives and show their evidence to the public. Very suspicious, the whole thing. But that doesn't mean that we should do what a lot of other people are doing right now. Namely, claim that the Russians themselves were planting this bomb as a false flag operation to blame Ukraine. If you back up a few steps, we all know what a bastard Putin is. But to kill the daughter of one of his best friends, just to make a point, that doesn't seem very likely either. Mm -hmm. So what I want to bring back is what we talked about it last week as well. Being a skeptic means we don't know. And we may never know how this happened. But we do need to remember to be good skeptics and just say we don't know. No need to create new speculations, new conspiracy theories. There are also many other plausible scenarios. It could be Ukraine, of course, that did it with this lady as a vehicle or somebody else, Mini Cooper or not. Mm -hmm. It could also be an enemy of Dugin's who wanted to get back on something else. Many other things are possible. It could even be a false flag operation, but that seems unlikely. And for the moment, we just don't know. So uh, don't speculate too much. That's always, I think, a good thing to say in a skeptical podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And from good things, I want to go to bad things. How about Why? that? Why? <laughs> because I want to bring down the mood. No, right. I mean, an assassination, of course, is solemn enough and bad. Yeah, so we're going from bad to we're bad. We're going from bad to bad. Mm -hmm. And we want to find out who has been really wrong. Yes. And for that, I want to talk about Hungary. <laughs> Andras, where are you? We need you now. <laughs> the story that has to be told before that is that there was a huge firework organized for Saturday. Europe's biggest firework display, in air quotes, to celebrate the national holiday of Hungary called St. Stephen's Day. Seven hours before that, they postponed the firework because there were extreme weather warnings given out. But the rainstorm that had been predicted moved. They, they changed direction and struck parts of eastern Hungary. So it, it did happen, but it missed the capital city Budapest. Missed the, the fireworks, right? Yeah, it missed the fireworks and Budapest. That was the thing. And what do you do in that regard? Well, I would say I'm happy no one got hit by the storm. I'm happy nothing happened. And now we just have the nice firework week after. No, that actually didn't happen. What happened was that the meteorological service posted an apology on their Facebook page, said that it was a least likely outcome. They didn't think that would happen, but this is just... That must be the first time ever that a weather ever. authority has gone on apologizing for the lack of a storm. But that shows you what, <laughs> excuse the pun, but what kind of atmosphere is, is happening in, <laughs> in <laughs> well Hungary, <done>. you know, <laughs> how the climate ha -ha, is in Hungary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they're just like, we're sorry, we're sorry. Uh, too late, because they got sacked. 
The whole department? No, the service chiefs. So two of the top weather experts have been fired. Oh, good. So now they have to do with people who are not top weather experts. <laughs> yes, yes. Now there will be even I'm all, <laughs> Good luck more, with uh, that. <laughs> yes. So like, I don't want to laugh too much about it because it's pretty sad that, that people are like, we're sorry, we're sorry, we didn't mean to. And then they're still sacked because they just said it, it is likely that the storm is hitting. Um, oh. And interestingly... This all reminds us of a case in Italy where six scientists together with public officials were put on trial for advice. They gave about tremors that happened in the earth and uh, subsequently an earthquake that happened in Italy. Right, this was the volcanologists or whatever you call it who, it didn't, was... who failed to predict an earthquake. <laughs> exactly. It was uh, three seismologists, a volcanologist and two seismic engineers. And they entered a bar. Yes, they ended a bar and um, no, but they did a risk analysis, which was ruled too superficial. But in this court case, they also decided they weren't responsible. So interestingly, while their analysis was too superficial and it actually led to victims or people died, yeah. actually something happened there, like more than a postponed firework. Mm. And even them... In Italy, in a democratic state, I want to say, they weren't convicted mm. because it's weather. <laughs> right. You can't be convicted for not being able to foresee the future. Exactly. Not, I mean, even if you try the, if you try your best. Yes. Yeah. So going back from this earthquake case to Hungary, I think I just want to give a round of applause for the really wrong award to <laughs> Hungary's government for sacking weather experts because they haven't been as good as the weathermen in Back to the Future Part 2 and predicted something that didn't came 100% true. And for that, Hungary's government receives this week's prize for being really wrong. Here, here. And it's not their first one either. Yeah, exactly. I think they have a couple. They, they have to have a special shelf where yes. they put these awards now. <laughs> a long shelf. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And that pretty much concludes our show. So thank you, Pontus. Thanks a lot. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in and for sticking with us. But I don't want to let anyone go without a quote. And this week's quote is by Simon Singh, born 1964, British science journalist and physicist, and in Fermat's last theorem, he says, Although this may seem a paradox, all exact science is dominated by the idea of approximation. That is correct. That is <laughs> yes. a very astute observation. By a smart person. <laughs> we never know everything exactly. We approximate yeah. and then we... That's why it's science. <laughs> yeah, that's why it's science. Yeah, that's why we change our minds sometimes. If the evidence turns yeah. around, then we'll have to change our minds. And that's why so. people say like, what? They just don't know shit there. No, that's science. That's why we change it. <laughs> exactly. And science doesn't know everything. That's yeah. true. But science knows a whole lot more than people that are just sitting around making shit up. <laughs> because at least we try. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And as I see in the weather experts, I mean, they probably did a very good job. I, I don't mm -hmm. know. Maybe yeah. they didn't. But they obviously tried to make a prediction based on science. And I mean, most of the time it works very mm -hmm. well. Sometimes unpredictable things happen. And then we... That's interesting. That's interesting. That's yes. not a That's reason to get fired. 
that's actually matter for more science <laughs> to yeah. like find out why that changed. And these scientists also were smart because they already apologized. They knew what was happening. Mm. Um, yeah. It was just not enough. Right. But Simon saying he is a skeptical superhero. He is awesome. Yeah. So shout out to him. <laughs> Maybe we'll meet him at QED. That would be awesome. Yeah. He's often there. So talking about QED, I think we're all very excited about QED and about the European Skeptics Congress happening in just about two weeks. Ooh, I have to stop packing my bags. Mm-hmm. So I hope we'll see some listeners there. Yeah. But until then, we'll hear or talk to you next week. So until next week, goodbye. Hey, do. Tschüss. Wieslat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. Uh, shall I host? Oh, of course, of course. I never do that. Alrighty. <laughs> I think with with that teaser, we should jump over to other things we can tease. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'll just do it again. Maybe we should do that again, yeah. Yeah. Ethnicity. <laughs> I can't say the word. <laughs> Ethn ethnicity. Yes. Based on ethnicity, right? The national holiday of hang... Mm -hmm. hang <laughs>